0: everybody, you're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kuchkov, and our guest today is Scott Reynolds, a co founder and CEO at Upcodes, a construction tech startup that develops building code compliance tools to help the AEC, or architecture, engineering, and construction industries, deliver code compliant buildings. Today, we're talking with Scott about the nuances of moving business data where it's needed. But before we get into that, Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: I am too. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about you for myself and the listeners, especially. So uh, let's start there. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when it, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I, I think I have a little bit different uh, kind of journey or, or track to, to getting here than, than most so, just to rewind a little bit um, to a younger age, uh, grew up moving around the country and uh, also internationally as well, and saw a lot of different kind of architectures and buildings and and that was really inspiring to me, especially at a young age. So eventually went to architecture school and graduated and and started practicing architecture. And that's really where I started to get a little bit of exposure to some of the inefficiencies. So, I'm coming very much from kind of a traditional track of, of going to school and then, and then working. And then through that exposure, uh, got a little bit of insight into some, some real pain points and, and, uh, things I thought could be corrected or, or made at least a little bit more efficient. And that kind of launched me into, to entrepreneurship.
0: So tell us about becoming a founder and like, uh, what, what was it, uh, that, that, uh, made you want to take that leap?
1: Yeah. So, so I I would say dealing with a very kind of pain point felt personally. So I was dealing with a lot of compliance things. So again, working in, in architecture and uh, what I think a lot of people don't realize, certainly me, you know, doing, doing school and then jumping into the profession is the amount of regulation and compliance and, and legal hurdles you have to jump through to, to do any project. So I was doing this on a um, day-to-day basis and then realized, you know, like this workflow has no structured tool or certainly no software around it, and it just seemed like an opportunity to to uh, create a, a product to to help with myself the workflow I was doing, but all, but more importantly, my peers and and uh, and colleagues. So um, that was kind of like the the segue into tech, realizing that you know there there was there was an opportunity to create a lot of value and to help people in this uh, in this space and and a kind of a large component of that was my brother. So my brother Garrett, who would go on to become my co-founder was a software engineer at PlanGrid. So another startup in the construction space. And that's where I was getting a little bit of exposure. And, and one Thanksgiving, I invited him to New York where I was living at the time and said, you know, like, here's this kind of painful process and workflow I'm going through. Do you think this can be solved with, um, with software or with engineering? And, uh, and he was pretty excited about the 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 prospect, and that's kind of where it uh, it all began and where it launched.
0: Awesome! I don't think we've ever had uh, brother founders, co-founders on the podcast before, um, but that's that's really cool. Um, you know, who better to start a company with? Um, depending on you know how how you guys are siblings, um, I don't know if I could start a company with my little sister. That probably wouldn't go too well. But <laughs> really cool. And then you know, it's always good to hear, um, you know. This started with a real pain point, so yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us what you're selling. What's the elevator pitch for Upcodes? Uh, just kind of explain what you guys do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe before I I jumped that, I'll just mention quickly. Uh, you know, after you mentioned about to your sister, I would say just make sure you have very different skill sets. Which fortunately we did have. Not that it was like conscious decision or anything like that at the time, but uh, we have very complementary skill sets. So I focus on domain and product and things like that, and and. Uh, Gary, my, my brother slash co-founder uh, focuses on the technical side. So it's very kind of defined boundaries of, of the two of our, of our disciplines and work. So that's worked out really well. So I'll just give that, that, um, that little tidbit or a uh, caveat there, but yeah, going, going back to the uh, kind of the elevator pitch or like, what, what do we do at Upcodes? And it's, it's uh, basically like a turbo tax of the construction industry. So, um, all of these regulations that uh, pile up for a given project. And it really doesn't matter what you're building. Could, could be a house, could be an addition, um, could be residential or multifamily residential, all the way up to large commercial or infrastructure projects. No matter what you're doing, there's uh, many, many layers of very kind of sophisticated and pretty complex regulations. And we basically try to reduce that, that uh, burden on anyone trying to build something by creating this automated workflow put in a little bit of information about your building, and then we calculate the requirements and and spit out um, uh, the requirements for your project. So cool. Uh, Can you talk about your mission as a company? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So um, the mission is to really uh, reduce a lot of the opaqueness um, in in all these regulations. So in a weird way, it creates a lot of friction points and inefficiencies um, when it's it's so hard to kind of parse and wade through the regulation. So if you're uh, on, on the private side, you're an architect, you're an engineer, or general contractor, or tradesperson, like plumber, electrician, roofer, or on the government side, so a plan reviewer or a building inspector, um, it's very difficult for them to kind of jump into the code, know what code is is uh, relevant, what what's appropriate and applicable, and then to actually... Um, apply that to the to the project, because every project is very, very different. So a big part of the mission is, is just to bring consistency and transparency to that whole process, get everyone on the same page, make sure uh, we're all working from the same place and, and just make those conversations much, much more uh, streamlined and and ideally avoid a lot of the uh, kind of pitfalls and, and mistakes and pretty costly mistakes that happen in in uh, construction.
0: So let's dive into the tech industry here. We're going to get back to kind of how you, uh, you know, achieve your mission there um, at UpCodes, but I really want to understand kind of more about the construction tech industry first. You know, uh, it's one of the least digitized sectors of our economy, uh, construction that is, and it's a, a massive part of our economy too—one point three trillion dollars in the United States. So it's kind of ripe for technology disruption. Uh, can you talk about how this industry works today?
1: Yeah, for for sure. Um, and, and maybe I'll kick off with a um, a report by McKinsey. Um, I, I believe it's McKinsey. I don't have it in front of me. But they they did a study where in, in the last 50 years, the productivity in the U- United States has gone down over time. And you can compare that against every other industry in the in the US where it's increased in terms of uh, productivity and, and uh, efficiency in the, in the industry. So when we zoom in and on construction, it's this very kind of old uh, analog Flow or or, or processes and, and workflows that the industry is doing. So you're exactly right. Like like it is very ripe for for innovation, but across the board. And you can look at uh, other companies that have started you know way before us, like five or ten years ago. Um, companies like PlanGrid. So maybe they started seven or so years ago. Um, so PlanGrid you know, you you might think it's like a a relatively simple concept. I mean, it, you know, the nuances are quite, quite complex, but the, the basic premise is putting blueprints or drawing sets as they're called um, in the cloud and making that accessible on, on tablets. And it it might sound simple, you know, just, just sync this stuff to the cloud, make sure everyone's on the same page, literally on the same page um, and, and in the field. Um, And, and, and there's a huge, product and a huge company, um, I believe, exited to Autodesk for 870 million, I, I believe. Um, so these little opportunities are actually quite substantive. Like you said, $1.3 trillion industry, even if it's a small um, pain point or opportunity, it, it actually, when you multiply it by by that size of a market, it actually becomes quite, quite large. Um, yeah. So I, I would just kind of Say that there's a lot of opportunity. I think all this low hanging fruit is just starting to be um, engaged by different uh, tech companies and and uh, products out there.
0: Right. Well, that's really interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned the older workflows, and I imagine these are like really large projects. Um, so any any piece you can kind of digitize, it's probably uh, you know pretty worth your time. Um, so let's let's dive into some of these like. Uh, Projects and and the challenges there. What what are the key kind of challenges that that you see across uh, all sorts of construction
1: projects? Yeah. So um, and and, it, and it's kind of interesting. Like we we think about construction as this kind of singular large industry, but in reality, it's broken into a couple different large buckets. Um, you have en- architecture, engineering, and construction, and sometimes people include owners. So it's AEC, sometimes AECO. Um, and the the challenges are pretty different across those those sectors. Now we we work a lot with with architects, also homeowners and and other folks too. But a large bucket are homeowners. Uh, we do get into uh, general contractors, the GCs, and also into to the governments. But we're we're seeing pretty diverse uh, kind of uh, pain points or friction points across them all. I would say, I'd say one of them certainly is is um, well, actually, there's there's probably a list of, of pain points. I'm, I'm sure someone, if, if you took on uh, uh, like an end user from the community, they would list, give you like three pages of uh, pain points. But uh, just from, from a very high level, um, high fragmentation through the industry, uh, pretty poor communication. Um, so, you know, going back to playing great, getting everyone on the same page, you know, just, just bringing this consistency and kind of like what we do, uh, trying to bring um, uh, transparency and get everyone operating from the same foundation. so yeah, just poor communication across the board. Um, and then uh, something a little bit more specific to construction is the labor shortage. so this this is hit news I think uh, pretty substantially in the last couple of years, but it, the the amount of of labor needed to do these construction projects because they are labor intensive like building something in the physical world is 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 hard to do. Uh, interesting products out there to try and modularize and, and do some prefab, but ultimately it, it is very labor intensive and there's a pretty, um, significant, uh, shortage across, across the country, probably internationally too.
0: Interesting. I imagine all those things kind of go hand in hand, right? Like things are highly fragmented. Communication is not great because of it. Um, data's, you know, there's not, there's this op- opacity, right. That you mentioned and data also probably leads to poor communication. Um, so a lot of these challenges probably feed each other. Um,
1: yeah. And yeah, just to to throw one thing in there, you, you just, uh, reminded me with, with, uh, data transparency. It's interesting because, and and this can get really deep into a rabbit hole, but there are a lot of, um, challenges with the way contract documents are set up where they actually prevent or, or de-incentivize the exchange of data from one party to another. So that's a bit abstract, but to put that in real world terms, um, you you can have an architect who has an abundance of data as a design the building, but to reduce their liability, they'll actually limit the amount of data that they'll share to the general contractor who goes on to build that building. But it it's it's um well for a variety of reasons, but but one of the largest being reduction of liability. So it, it's really a shame. And um, but boils down to to the way contracts are are written. Um and yeah, just just an interesting kind of Area where where you see some limitation of tech when it comes to something as simple as real world contracts between these different uh, different parties. Right.
0: So so with those challenges in mind, um, how can technology help address those challenges?
1: Yeah. So so I think um, I, I think the ability to to move data, you know, where contracts don't uh, prohibit it, but move the data seamlessly across the different products. And I mentioned there's a lot of interesting companies and products grabbing a lot of this low-hanging fruit, which is great. And that is certainly the first step. But I think the next step is, is to get those products and companies to start sharing data with each other. And you know, one, one of the big behemoths in the space, Autodesk, is pretty famous for, for not doing that. Uh, so they have a proprietary file format that makes it very, very difficult to operate on their files, to share it, to, to parse it, to work with it. So they're, I, I would say they're, uh, yeah, this is not sugar but they're probably one of the worst out there for, for that. But, you know, all companies I think can, can do a better job in terms of, um, making their data more standardized that, that we can share between the, the different products. That's really interesting.
0: I, I wonder like they're, they're obviously a big player in the, in the industry. They, they like, what's the incentive for them to share data, um
1: yeah so yeah yeah that that is interesting and it, it kind of reminds me of a, of a salesforce or a HubSpot. if I was in their shoes I, I would be pushing the platform play quite a bit more so if you do make it uh or open up your your file formats that you can operate on the um on the files or, or have friendly apis then you can really uh, stimulate a, a pretty robust ecosystem built on top of your flat platform and i I think that's why Salesforce is, and you know, as entrenched as they are, and why it's so hard for companies like HubSpot to chip away at their market share is is from that kind of deep, deep uh, moat of of uh, of their ecosystem.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about uh, the construction tech value chain next. Uh, it can be broken down into five distinctive parts. Uh, that is conception, design and engineering, pre-construction, construction execution, and then finally post-construction. Um, plus there is a construction and management operations layer. So it's it's complicated. You know, there's several layers I just mentioned. Uh, so tell us, where does Upcodes fit in?
1: Yeah, and and, um, and I'll mention quickly too, like in these very distinctive phases, you, you see that that data um, pass through, it gets very, very limited. So that, that's a great example of, of where data does not pass from phase to phase where it, it really should. But... Going back to your to your question, where, where does upcodes fit in? Um, we we actually span uh, the spectrum. Now, people deal with codes and regulation uh, in in all of those phases, but in a different way. So if you're if you're on the conception or, or uh, schematic design, some people might call it, the codes you're going to look at are going to be very very different than by the time it gets all the way to one of the end phases of, of construction, um, or post construction, or occupancy. Um, so the codes vary pretty significantly, but we actually support, um, all the different phases, uh, and, and the codes that evolve, um, as the project evolves over time. Got it. Would you say you're
0: stronger in one area, like in, in one single area or.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. I would say we're, we're probably strongest on the design side. So, so that'd be like the first or, or the second bucket there. So more in like the early phases, uh, understanding, you know, where can you build? How high can you build? How many people can you put in there? And then getting the broad strokes and, and starting to to narrow it down. So that that's kind of our, our strong suit. And then maybe second would be the the government side of uh, reviewing the permits and and doing inspections and things like that. But certainly on the roadmap is to get much more into construction. So all of the the kind of code specific and and, and regulations and uh, standards specific to the installation of different things or materials on site. There, there's a whole world out there. So we had to, you know, have a beachhead somewhere and we decided primarily based on my ex- experience as an architect, but to do that on the design side and then start to to move down that uh, that chain.
0: Right. Not to get, yeah, I, I, I totally see that. Like not to get too metaphoric, and I know nothing about architecture, but you know, I imagine uh, the design and engineering phase is kind of like your foundation, and it's like good to have a solid foundation before you go building on top of it in the construction uh, and uh, execution and post construction phases.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's um it's kind of like a natural spectrum where you from the the uh, inception of a project all the way to the completion or occupa- or yeah occupation of the building. So it's kind of nice to start on one end of the spectrum, and then and then kind of move through sequentially. Because, and again, this this is getting pretty pretty zoomed out, but it, it's it's very difficult to deploy a product um, to enter to your community and your user base where they're very disparate. So it's nice to to get the beachhead in, and then start add, adding uh, adjacent uh, kind of workflows and adjacent uh, user segments to that, whereas where not to. Um, a natural, like you're, you're not jumping across and there's a huge gap between one set of your users and another set. Got it. Yeah, that strategy
0: definitely makes sense. So next, let's talk about challenges. What are some of the major challenges that Upcodes helps uh, users address better than other tools might?
1: Yeah, so I, I, so I think it, one of the big value adds is, is fragmentation. So I think we, we mentioned earlier, but just the, the amount of sources and, and locations a lot of these regulations and laws live in uh, is is very very um, kind of uh, disparate and, and and spread out. So you might go to a, a physical book, or or your company server might have a bunch of PDF saved online, or you go to the government website. Um, so they live in different areas. But making that even harder is the fact that they're living documents. These laws are getting updated all the time. Depends on your jurisdiction. New York City being uh, probably the most frequent updater of the codes, but it really changes you know based on where you are and and what you're building. But one of the major values is just getting that all under one roof and keeping it up to date. Um, so uh, getting the different documents, whether it's like an adopted code and the amendments and integrating those in and then keeping it up to date, it's just uh, creating um, a resource where people can go and, and uh, not have to do a lot of these updates and track, you know, tens or hundreds of different uh, sources for further codes. Gotcha. And do you
0: compete mostly against the likes of Autodesk, or are there other startups that you would say, uh, or, or anything else that would be like your major competition?
1: Yeah. So, so it's it, we're we're in a little bit of, of a strange case where there's very little to no competition. So, it's it's been um, somewhat uh, suppressed over the last decade or two, and th- this you know gets into another potential uh, big rabbit hole. But one of the biggest challenges for us was getting into litigation um, early on in, in the startup's life and um, just from a very high level, it might sound a little bit surprising, but there's um nonprofits that claim copyright on the laws. So part of our platform is providing free unfettered access to these, these same laws. So we, we got hit early on with, with a lawsuit that, that we had to go through and litigate and we, we won all the major points. And interestingly, that same plaintiff sued us again, eight days later, after we had won this major victory, uh, we had to beat them in that second lawsuit, but in a, in a, in a weird way, like they have suppressed so much potential innovation in this space for the last decade or two. And we've had so many people, either companies or individuals reach out saying, Hey, how, how are you doing, you know, what you do? Cause we tried to do something similar. And then these, these huge incumbents came, you know, came down on us, like, with their lawyers sending nasty letters or threatening to sue and, and shut down all of those potential companies and products. So in, in all these other industries, like you look at lawyers in law, like they have a very robust set of tools that they can choose from when they're doing legal research and things like that. But architects, engineers, and, and GCs just don't have that uh, th- those options. Like that ecosystem of, of technology just doesn't exist for them. So we're one of the first to, to kind of come through this um, and had to go through like the discomfort and, and, uh, um, all the, all the, uh, elements that, uh, that lawsuits bring, uh, but we're coming through the other end of that, which is, which is great. Uh, but to answer, you know, go back to your question about competition, unfortunately, uh, in a weird way, it, we're, we're sad to see like a, a very, very little amount of innovation in the space.
0: Yeah. Well, first off, congratulations for getting through, um, to this point, but, you know, that's so interesting because typically if you're starting a company, and uh, I think this is just like an industry standard, uh, not even, in, there is no industry. This is just a startups thing. Like if people say there's no competition, that's typically a sign that you're not like in a viable market.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: So does that worry you or or this is just kind of the, the one of the unique parts of uh, this industry you're in?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question no i guess it doesn't worry us too much it 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 would if we if we didn't know that so many people had been kind of shut out from from doing the space like there's a huge amount of 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 interest um from and i would say like poll from the community just because there's there's been like you know an innovation drought for for so long so i think both knowing that people were kind of artificially suppressed from from joining it but then also just hearing from the community how you know badly the, these tools are needed to to manage and help in their their day-to-day workflow so i think from both ends uh we're, we're kind of reminded that it's uh y- there's a lot of value to add and and uh, uh, pain points to, to remove for sure
0: awesome well let's dive into upcodes we've talked about the market I, I thank you for like explaining it i've definitely learned a lot already but uh yeah upcodes let's start with the people right um who are the people behind upcodes and uh, tell us a little bit about the origins
1: yeah, so, so it's a pretty diverse team today, and it, it, it's about split, I would say, from people that come from the industry. So former architects, um, uh, engineers, or uh, kind of building official background, um, all the way to software engineers. And for me, that's like one of the most rewarding things is to see the discussions that happen when you have people from a very, very different uh, professional background and, and very different skill sets. But to rewind from there, just you know going back to, to early days, like or the, the origin of, of the team. So yeah, just uh, myself and, and my brother from starting from that Thanksgiving weekend, starting to scale up the company, we, we, it was just the two of us, I think for for a little while. and then we were lucky enough to, to go to Y Combinator, who for us like instilled a lot of best practices and kind of opened up the, the possibility of like how to scale a startup. We got a little bit of funding from there, did a seed round afterwards, and that's really where the team uh, started to grow. And that's where he started to recruit people, um, yeah, from from both sides of of, of the fence, so both from domain, but then also uh, the technical side.
0: Right. That's kind of funny. I mean, you and your brother are kind of like a little microcosm of that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about the recruiting. Like I'll I'll know how to screen and where to look, and 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 can um, reach out to my network in terms of the the architects and the design side and GCs mm-hmm. and things like that. And then uh, my brother, the counterpart, knows how to do that for the technical side. So yeah, it works out uh, really well.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, next next, let's talk timing. Timing is so important for uh, for all startups. Uh, why is now the right time for your company?
1: Yeah. So so it. It's kind of interesting. So I, I think like like the timing component is so critical for so many companies. But again, going going back to 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 the lawsuit thing, what, one of the interesting things is the right timing was probably earlier than than us even. It's it probably like at like five to ten years earlier than us. Probably would have you know been the correct time. Now people uh, were prevented from joining at that time. You know, so it's in. Yeah, in a strange way, we're a little bit different than most in terms of timing because it was controlled by these kind of external factors. Um, but I mean, it, you know, because the timing was earlier, like there is there is a very significant need and everything and all the technology is there and everything's kind of queued up. And for us, it's it's more of a question of like execution and moving quickly, but also, you know, building the right things and, and not making mistakes. So um, I guess the, yeah, I guess the demand is certainly there. It's It's more yeah, on 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 uh, making the right choices and and moving quickly.
0: Awesome. Um, how about the core elements of your platform? Um, what, what what would you say are the core elements of UpCodes?
1: Yeah, so I, I'd say probably two things. One is the this kind of large repository of of laws and, and regulations. So just the infrastructure and systems to uh, to not only ingest all this data, uh, parse it. Structure it and bring into a unified format, but then keep them up to date. So on that first part of of ingesting it, you I mean you could probably imagine um, the the diversity of data sources is is pretty staggering. So you'll get a government site, and it could be a PDF, it could be semi-structured data like like pseudo HTML or or, or nicely structured, and and everything in between. Um, so the systems we never anticipated how kind of robust they would need to be but just the ability to to get the data uh, in whatever form it might come from and then uh, parse that clean it analyze it and then and then put it into this unified format which is kind of the starting line so so that's kind of like the first kind of core element i'd say and then the second core element is actually operating on that data okay now that we have it all in one place and and it's cleaned and it's parsed you know, what can we do with that data? And I think that's where it gets really interesting, where you start to kind of connect the ecosystem of dots. So all the different codes kind of point at each other, but they're not, you know, you're being restricted by like a, like a physical uh, book form. They couldn't actually like link out to each other, but now we can kind of tie all this information together, map out how do regulations and requirements change across the country. So if you're deploying or you're building in say LA or, or SF in California versus Miami or, or New York city, how, how does that change? What are the requirement differences between those jurisdictions? And then, you know, the automation component. So saying, okay, we have all the data in one place, but people still need to go through manually and they still need to read it and, and then, and then interpret it and, and apply it to their projects. What can we do with software to start to, to pull insights from that and, and automate those, those workflows. So I'd say that's like another core component and that one is, is much more recent than the other ones. That's kind of what we're putting our heads down and and focusing on today. Got
0: it. Definitely some interesting challenges there. Let's take a look under the hood. Uh, Talk, tell us about your technology stack and what kind of important early choices you had to
1: make. Well, I I think like, and this, I don't know if this answers the question, but I think one of the biggest decisions was to be very conscious of tech debt. So. The the tech stack today looks very different than it did when we started, and it's constantly evolving. and And it likely will look a lot different in two or three years from now. But just I think the biggest decision was okay, let's be very conscious of of the uh, the tech debt. Let's carve out dedicated time to to deal with that. So maybe we do one or two sprints, um, or if you're doing Kanban style, you know m- maybe it's your three weeks of product development, but then one week of paying down tech debt, and and always you know, being very conscious of that and, and keeping it balanced. And then when you need to investing up front to, to switch, to you swap out a piece of the tech stack to, to a more modern tool, or, or maybe you chose a tool and you didn't have all the information that you have today. And, and, and there's actually a better option out there. So I, I think ultimately it's just, just being flexible with it, not, not sticking with, with your guns and saying like, okay, that's the way it started. That's the way we will be forever, but rather, um, uh, jumping between, uh, the technologies when it, uh, when it makes sense. Definitely.
0: And I imagine it, you've had to grow. I mean, you mentioned the robustness of the data and, and how, you know, your, your technology had to handle even more than you kind of expected. Um, maybe talk about that. Like, has it just been like more data, large data? Is it the file formats that are challenging? Like what, what there is, um, what's there as, as like a big challenge for your
1: technology? It- yeah. So, so I'd say, um, I'd say like all of the above, um, but I'll, I'll use one, one example. Um, so, so when we started, we we thought, and we started with a subset of, of, of these regulations and laws and, and, and that looked and had a certain format. And so we built a lot of the database and the systems and, and the UI and the UX and like, how, how do people interact with it? Um, and all this was based on, on, on the premise of, of this initial set of codes, but then Lo and behold, uh, they're, they're like, as we started adding more information and, and more uh, regulations to, to the platform, those were in very, very different formats. So uh, they, it kind of broke the schema, broke broke the database, and um, and we needed to evolve it from there. Then lo and behold, you know, six months later, we're we'll bringing on more information and, and it breaks it again. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'd say the, you know, just to use one example, but it's, it, it's so hard to predict all the the possibilities and the, and the use cases. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't make sense to try and predict them all. Um, you know, in in that one case, you know, maybe it would have been helpful to, to like look way far ahead and and plan for that, but there's probably 10 things going on. And the other nine things were, were worked out really well, but how do we look that far ahead for all 10? We would have been way behind than where we are today. So I think it kind of goes back to that theme of just being as nimble as you can and just be prepared to, to change as new information uh, comes in.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you use uh, AI to create the spell check for buildings?
1: Yeah, so so going back to actually uh, kind of fragmentation and, and data problems that we mentioned earlier, there are certain touch points in the, in the process that are very, very kind of fragments and the data is very uh, unclean or, or, or yeah, very diverse and in, in, in a different uh, structure and format. So to, to give a, a, a real world example, so in part of the, the spell check for buildings, we look at 3d models, buildings, so it's called build, building information modeling or BIM in the industry. So basically just a, a like in your computer is a 3d representation of the building that will okay. then get flattened to your, to your blueprints, but it starts in this and designers today use this, this 3d model. Okay. So we'll look at that model and, and start to automatically flag code issues. So we'll say okay we're looking let's say like at a bathroom in this bathroom you need a certain amount of space for a wheelchair to turn around this is a commercial bathroom you need certain amount of space around the sink the stall needs to be a certain size toilet needs to be a certain distance from the wall the grab bars need to be a certain distance from the floor and the adjacent walls and uh, like how much they protrude so it it checks in so many different ways okay what is um what, what's compliant what's not compliant flagging those things to the user saying hey Kind of, yeah, like a spell check when you're writing an email, like highlighting in red saying that this, this is going to be an issue. You should you should fix it for for these reasons. Um, but one of the major learnings early on was looking at the user's data and then seeing how diverse, how fragmented that data was. So every um, firm that we were working with had a different way to represent the different data. They modeled it a different way. We call that model craft. Um, but within these firms, different teams had a different way to model. And within those teams, different individuals had a different way to model. So you end up with a very, very diverse set of, of um, ways that this the same information can be described. And so part of the, the the reason AI and ML is so valuable is that we can start to automatically create these ways to to parse the data and understand the object. So if you're, let's say you, you have like a, a sync uh, in, in, in your model, someone might have modeled it a different way. They might, the metadata behind it might be there, or maybe, maybe not there, or maybe they call it something else. Maybe they mislabeled it. Um, so the, the AI ML can say, okay, I've seen, you know, like a thousand sinks before or or 10,000 sinks, even though you've labeled that the wrong way, I can start to identify the fact that that is most likely a sink. So, okay. Maybe by accident, you called it a door, but based on the geometry, based on the context and, and contextual clues we can say that is in fact a sync. So there's a couple touch points where it makes sense to to kind of invest in that side of AI ML. And I will say it's like, it's always a mix, right? Like, like some things can be AI, but some things can be heuristics and it really depends on, on the challenge. But when you're dealing with kind of messiness and unstructured data, oftentimes the AI uh, will win out over heuristics.
0: What are some of the key milestones to you, to this point that you've achieved uh, along your journey?
1: Oh yeah, good good question. So, I I think yeah, I guess there I guess there's a couple. One is that you know we've we've always been very kind of end user focused and community focused. So one of the biggest kind of milestones for us is is usage and the amount of people on the system and how much value are they deriving from the system. And that was always our kind of focus from day one and and still is. So this is this is early on the example I'll give, but it, it was such a kind of interesting milestone to pass, which is the amount of user time per day. When you add it all up in terms of hours, surpassing the amount of time your team spent building the product that day. So Mm. if you have a couple people and say you're working eight or 10 hours on it, so you you add that all up and maybe it adds up to like 50 hours that day, it's passing that threshold when there was more uh, user usage time that surpassed that 50 hours. And it, in a really cool way like that that's what technology products enable you to do you can you can leverage your skill set and leverage the product to to impact more people than you could if it was like a manual one-to-one um, thing so um that was early on when we when we passed that threshold but it, for me that is what stood out the most
0: any other milestones worth mentioning or
1: yeah no, I'm, I'm just thinking of, of some more <laughs> i i would say like all like all the 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 milestones in terms of um, users. So when we hit fifty thousand, when we hit 200,000, 300,000, all the way up to five hundred thousand, we, we like to celebrate all the little wins. So we, like, each of those milestones were you know big celebrations um, internally. And then you know when we when we surpass a, a million users, it'll it'll be surreal and it's it's like hard to imagine. But it, back in the day, it's hard to imagine passing half a million users. <laughs> so I, I think almost all the milestones and and celebrations come down to. Um, usage and 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 how much value are you providing and uh, use like yeah users and time on the site really,
0: that is really exciting. With that in mind, uh, you know your users. Let's talk about your customers. Who's buying this?
1: So it's it's pretty diverse, and we we've never done sales or marketing. Now we're starting to get into that a little mm-hmm. bit, but historically to the to this point, you know, getting up to five hundred thousand users, we, we've never done a sales or marketing. So. So it's all been word of mouth and SEO driven. So people who find the site, and going back to you know being very user centric, like we take NPS, Zenet Net Promoter Score, extremely seriously. So that when you do use the product, it, it helps to such an extent that you're likely to you know share it with other people. Um, so we take that really, really seriously, and I, I think it's it's paid dividends because I you know I think people and the feedback we've gotten is that they they enjoy using it. And then they tend to share it with their colleagues, and those colleagues might go on to different firms, and they share it with that firm. And then governments that that use it, that interact with 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 uh, architects or engineers or homeowners, they'll they'll share it there. So there's a there's a high degree of, I wouldn't call it virality because it's it's not you know this is not a consumer product and it's not like uh, social media or anything like that. So I yeah I wouldn't call it like the the virality coefficient, but but there is, there is a sense of natural spread to it as well. So so we've always grown organically and because of that it's it's been a pretty even spread across the whole industry. So going back to the question of of who's buying, really anyone who's involved in in, in doing a construction project. And that can be a homeowner, or it could be or you know, someone leasing an apartment but they want to do some kind of upgrade and they want to understand like what what are the requirements required here um, to the architects, engineers, general contractors, plumbers, electricians, roofers, the government uh, agencies, so plan reviewers, building inspectors, and then insurance companies. So so when people make insurance claims against some natural disasters, if they had home insurance or, or commercial insurance, and then uh, the other side of that, um, the people defending the claimies. So we, we often equip both sides of the table, which is interesting. So the private side or, or the public, the government side, or or the insurance company or, or um, uh, the claimie and, and their, their uh, litigation team. So so it really cut, cuts across uh, the board in terms of like almost every segment. And then actually, interestingly, within all of those segments, so you look at, say, architects or, or GCs, it's it's all the way from the mom and pop shops to some of the biggest companies um, in the US at least. So it, it's a very kind of even blanket and even spread over the different user segments. And then uh, within there, the different uh, company sizes as well.
0: I mean, that, that sounds amazing I, I imagine there's some challenges with um you know uh, such a wide range of customers but um it, those are good problems to have probably
1: <laughs> yeah and yeah w- no it's a, yeah it's a really good point because you when you do have a very large or, or sorry i say very diverse user base in in terms of like user segments um the the feature requests that you'll get are equally right. as diverse right. so what and a feature might make a ton of sense to a particular use case, but not to any of the others, or maybe like a couple, but not not the others. So, it the yeah you're right. Like the, there are downsides, and I'd say like the downside is that it makes the product development and your product roadmap much more difficult. Like you have to uh, assess it with a much more critical eye, saying like okay, yeah we do have like 200 requests here, but it you know it, it's going to add UX complexity, it's going to add and it's actually going to uh, um, detract from other users' experience of, of the product. So it's always this kind of trade-off and understanding, you know, who we're building for and, and, and what are the features. And you know, maybe the users are finding themselves in like a, a partitioned area of the of, of the product. And then it's fine to like to, to do very specific tailored features. But if they're in like a more general area, you have to be way more diligent and and conscious about those trade-offs. Next, describe how a
0: happy customer might use upcodes. Paint the picture for me.
1: Yeah. So, so maybe I'll use a architect as an example. So they, the kind of typical workflow, they might be going out to look at government websites or trying to patch together the, or cobble together this um, kind of picture of, of code and what applies to their project. And maybe someone refers them to go to upcodes so they can go to upcodes and they'll see all the, the regulations and the codes under one roof, and they can start to read through and, and, um, and collaborate and and work with their team on those codes. But if they want to provide some some rails or some some guidelines and automate that that process, they can upgrade to the premium tier. So it is freemium, so they would be on that free side before. Mm. And now they've upgraded and they can start to do that same research, but in way less uh, manually. Um, This saves a lot of time, but then also increases accuracy. So as they're doing those calculations, they just put in some inputs, it does the calculations, and it'll actually flag things. So like if you, in the inputs, if you said, okay, I want to build this building, let's say in, in like Idaho, and it, I want this amount of people and I want to build it out of this material, there, there's actually conflicts in the things you might propose. So we'll, we'll flag those. We'll say, hey, there's there's potential errors here in, in what you're proposing to try and catch any compliance errors as upstream as possible. So catch those things right away, but then they'll do they'll do this automated review And then they can start to share that with the team. People can make comments. They can, you know, kind of, it's kind of like clay, especially early on, where you are trying to work the building, understand, you know, how big can you build and who's going to occupy the building. So you get multiple people involved. Um, But then when you, when you settle on it, you can start to export all this data and then you interface with the government. So then you'd hand off all this, these documents saying, okay, here's my code sheet. Um, Here's all, all the uh, regulations I want to follow. And you give that to the department and then. We do equip the departments too. So they'll use upcodes to, to verify that. So they they're at that point in time, the function is to double check and make sure everything is is looking okay. Basically like a yeah second set of eyes on it. Um, so they'll go through, they'll use probably like a search engine or, or maybe the same um, uh, calculator tools to detri- define the requirements. So they'll go through, double check it, give approval. And then now the project can go into construction. Yeah, so that would kind of like end the architects flow. Of course they, they they go on to like do what's called a construction administration, so they're overlooking the project. Uh, but in terms of like that bulk work that's done in terms of research and the compliance, that that would be the phase there. Got it. And you mentioned uh, these code
0: calculators. Um, can you talk about like some of the what maybe your favorite or this customer, your happy customer's favorite feature or functionality? Uh, what, what do they really like using?
1: yeah so um so i'll use i'll use what's called heights and areas as an example mm-hmm. so it's it's a kind of um and there's many modules so this is this is like one of those modules and i think i think the most popular if not the second most popular and it it, it defines okay so you're you're building this jurisdiction uh this is the amount of floors you want to um to include or or occupants and you say, what are the materials you're going to build out of? And then it can start to define how high can you build, um, how how much square footage can you have on the on the um, floor plate or each each floor, and how many floors can you have on, on that site? So it, it's this very kind of broad stroke check of, of you know what is the scoping like? How how big is this building um, going to be? And one of the reasons I like it so much is because. It might sound simple, but the amount of work to, to actually do that, at least traditionally when you're doing it by hand or, or maybe you make an Excel um, file or something, is, is like pretty intensive. It takes a lot, a lot of time to do that, and it's all typically done manually. But because it's done manually, a lot of mistakes are, are made in that process. So that's just a really nice kind of packaged way where it's like, you know, just tell us what you're building. We're going to do those calculations. It's, it's going to do that rapidly, like in less than a second and document it all to show you, okay, here's all the formulas. Here's your project mapped into those formulas, the lookup tables, and you can follow this huge audit trail of that calculation until the end. And it gives you the summary of it um, at the end. So, um, and then you can take all that documentation and pass that on to the government and to different people. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that you can, what historically took hours and hours to do, you can do that within a second and you can do multiple of them. So you can start to iterate on your project You can say, okay, let me actually make five iterations. Let, let's do five design options. And, and we can rapidly see what are all the downstream code implications of, of these, these uh, upstream decisions. That sounds
0: like a great use of technology. Let's uh let's move on. Let's go to talk about your go to market and business model. You've already mentioned some of these things, read through word of mouth and SEO. Um, but it sounds like you've had great success with that. Um, talk about your go to market strategy. How do you how do you reach your customers? And and do you have any plans to uh you know add a third um go to market strategy there?
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. So so pretty pretty basic. The go to market is 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 just organic. You know, just word of mouth SEO spread. So pretty, pretty, pretty uh, boring, unfortunately, answer for you there. But we're, we're just starting to transition a little bit more into like the marketing side and, and, and sales and, and things like that. You know, just, you know, and it's probably, to be honest, like founder bias, both myself and my co-founder, were very kind of product and engineering minded people. And in a way, the company is built to support that where we could just the whole team, we can just focus on product. Now we'll start building out like the sales function and other things like that. Um, but historically, the go-to-market very kind of straightforward and and uh, and, and kind of boring. So I, I wish I had a more exciting, different uh, user acquisition channels and and things like that. But uh, it's it's much uh, much more straightforward.
0: Right. No. But I, I think uh, going back to the foundation metaphor, I think uh, you know starting with product and engineering is um,
1: probably a good place to start. I don't know. <laughs> it's just my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I'll just throw in quickly. Um, I just heard a quote from Michael Siebel, uh, who's the president of Y Combinator currently. Mm -hmm. And the the quote goes, build your product and then build your company, which I thought was really potent, like really insightful, which is basically, you know, make sure you have product market fit, make sure you've spent enough time building the product before you start scaling your team. And we we hadn't heard that quote at the time, but that was definitely the ethos we were living. And I'm, I'm glad he came along and Put it into such a, like a succinct uh, uh, quote, but uh, but I, I really believe in that wholeheartedly. Like I think you, you do see a lot of. It was getting off topic, but uh, you do see a lot of rounds happening now, and and I think people do you know jump the gun a little bit and, and and try to build and hire aggressively ahead of product market fit. And the the amount of agility you need early on to make to to um, get to product market fit requires a, a small team. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely.
0: Next, talk about how you make money.
1: So we're a freemium model. So so all of those codes and and regulations that we maintain are all out there for free. So you can go, you can you can browse and and see them, and that's on the free side of freemium. And then on the paid side is all this kind of advanced functionality built on top of that. So mm-hmm. the ability to do these code calculators or or make annotations, uh, build up a company wide mm-hmm. knowledge base um, through the through the um, through your firm as you've done research, shared projects, you can generate code reports and things like that. So we we kind of divide it by just unfettered free access to the codes. And then all this kind of automated and team centric um, features built on top of that.
0: Hmm. All right, well, let's start closing this thing up. Um, Sort of to recap, uh, what's one thing about UpCodes that makes you stand out from the crowd?
1: Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. I, I would say maybe the, the kind of focus on NPS and, and just kind of like customer satisfaction and user satisfaction. Mm-hmm. unfortunately the construction industry has been served by a lot of software or, or, or otherwise products that, that I don't think are as user centric. And as a result, you, you get pretty bad UX experiences, um, which I mean, myself personally, like it will drive me off the wall. And and will make me not want to use the product. So, just I think what has uh, you know historically separated us from from most is is just that user centric uh, focus. All right, tough question, good answer. How about next one? What are
0: some of the biggest challenges that you face as a founder that keep you up at night?
1: I I I think the roadmap. So, it's you know especially when you're in a greenfield uh, space where Mm -hmm. where you don't have a lot of competition. So. There, there is not a lot to look at, and, and there's no like guidance, like like where, where should we be in two years or five years or ten years? There, there's just nothing to really go by. So, so you're you're looking out and you're you're trying to figure out. Meanwhile, there's user requests coming in from every different user segment, different company sizes, and, and you're trying to uh, parse out those requests and figure out this long term uh, product roadmap, um, which is really really difficult, and. I know I've mentioned a, a bunch of quotes here, so I'll, maybe I'll this, this will be my last one. I, I promise. <laughs> <Go for laughs> um, but uh, Elon Musk had a great one, which is I- I'm probably going to butcher it, but it goes something like uh, doing entrepreneurship or a startup is is like looking into the abyss and chewing on glass. And 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 I think like for us that that manifests in, in the roadmap. You like we're looking out into the darkness or the abyss, um, not knowing quite where you're going, and and it, there are challenges and things are uncomfortable. So uh, that quote definitely resonated a lot with us. And yeah, again, that comes down to the, to the roadmap. That's pretty funny.
0: All right, last one here from me. Can you share something significant or surprising that you've learned from your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey uh, in the last 12 months?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think the, the power of technology to impact workflows. So there, there are so many different things that I took for granted. Um, and, you know, frankly, probably still do like, like, I think we always need to be like introspective and, and, and question like, you know, why are we why is it done this way? But just, just the power of, of, of technology to, to um, resolve some things, uh, obviously, not everything. But like that example, we looked at before of, of that code calculator. Mm. Why are we spending hours doing that manually, like computers are very, very good at doing calculations, like maybe not creative, but they can do the calculation side and leave all that creative space and requirement to to the human counterpart or component so I, I think it's identifying and questioning why are we doing certain things and then resolving that in a really elegant way with with technology I think it, like and especially in the last 12 months like we've rolled out a lot of functionality there that I think um certainly I, I would have been shocked by when I was working as an architect so hopefully people are today we'll, we'll see um but uh yeah that that uh, kind of uh, seizes to to surprise me how powerful it can be. Definitely. Well said.
0: All right. Uh, let's get out of here. Before we go, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and learn more about UpCodes?
1: Yeah, I think uh, probably on Twitter. Well, you can learn about UpCodes at, at the website up.codes, which is a weird domain, but the domain is literally .codes, so .codes, .codes, or at Twitter. So we like to engage with the community and love having chats and 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 sharing features or thoughts and things like that on, on Twitter. So we're just at UpCodes. So U-P-C-O-D-E-S.
0: Awesome. All right, Scott, we're going to end it there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave us a rating. You know, Scott, thank you for joining the show today. We appreciate your time, your insights, and we're excited to see uh, where you're headed.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation, so I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on.